So there was a motivational speaker about to speak in this huge hall and the hall was filling with people and there was excitement and chatter in the hall. And the speaker was behind a little wall and there his assistant was trying to attach a microphone to his shirt. And as he was attaching that microphone, the speaker began to complain. Jerry, you, you don't know what you're doing. You're placing it in the wrong place. And I hate this venue that you chose. It's too small and it's too hot. Is this whole tour going to be like this? Man, I don't even think you know what you're doing. I need to get a new manager. About that time, an usher came running in from the hall, which had now become very quiet and very full. And he said, shh. Your microphone is on. Well, after a while, that motivational speaker burst into the room and the canned music went down. He got a big smile on his face and he said, are you ready to get positive? <laughs> Silence. And so he tried it again. I mean, are you ready to have, make a positive difference in your life and to be a positive person? And a heckler in the crowd said, not with you, buddy. And all the people laughed and began to leave. His words, his speech, betrayed him. You know, our words and our speech, they do that. They betray our motives. They betray our anger. They betray our limitations. They even betray our lack of spiritual maturity. You know, the one thing that marriage counselors say is the most dependable clue of whether this couple will be able to hang together or not. It's not the, their agreement on money. It's not their agreement on child rearing or anything else. The one clue for marriage counselors is the way they speak to one another and the way they speak about one another. And when conflict mediators go into a difficult situation, the one thing that helps them diagnose the level of conflict, yes, it's the speech that's being used by the contentious participants. Our speech matters. Do you remember being a child on the playground and being insulted in some way by another little kid? What would you say to them? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It wasn't true, was it? No, because words hurt. Words matter, and they betray what's going on inside of us. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series on the Proverbs, which is the moral instruction of Hebrew Scripture, and our focus this morning will be speech. I want to focus on Scripture's understanding of why our words are important and the way our speech reveals our spirit. But first, let us pray. God, we like to talk. We like to wield our words and perfect our speech. In this place and in this time, quiet us and grant us the ability to listen. Amen. So here are these moral instructions from the 12th chapter of Proverbs. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness speaks deceitfully. Rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. 
Deceit is in the mind of those who plan evil, but those who counsel peace have joy. No harm happens to the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. One who is clever conceals knowledge, but the mind of a fool broadcasts folly. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Friends, this isn't complicated. The teacher of Proverbs is so very clear when it comes to our speech. Thoughtless, rash words are like the thrust of a sword, and wise words bring healing. Truthful lips endure and God delights in them while lying tongues have no staying power and they're a disgrace to God. Wise people don't use words to prove themselves and fools (laughs) broadcast their ignorance with speech. Words matter. Our speech matters. Every one of us here have been hurt by the words of others and each of us have wounded others with our talk. But this morning, let's go a little deeper. This morning, I want to suggest that our speech, the way we talk in our families, in work, in school, that it also reveals our relationship with God. It reveals our spirits. It reveals our faith. In fact, what if our speech is the one thing that identifies us as disciples of Jesus Christ, as people of faith? That's exactly what scripture seems to suggest. When the author of Ephesians speaks of the kind of people he wants in the church, the kind of people who follow Jesus Christ in their everyday lives, he talks about what comes out of their mouths. He talks about their speech. Listen to what the author of Ephesians has to say. Sorry. Let no evil, it's not it. So then, put away falsehood and let each of you speak the truth with your neighbor. For we are members of one another. Let no evil talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. How should we as followers of Christ be speaking wherever we are, whatever we're doing? Well, I believe scripture is clear. There are three things about our speech, three things we need to look for, we need to listen for, we need to cultivate as God's people. And these three things build on one another. First, our speech must be true. Secondly, our speech must be disciplined And finally, our speech must be graceful. True speech. True speech is actually the most basic requirement for a Christian. It's part of the Ten Commandments. It's something that we can teach even very small children. It's something even thoroughly secular people value. And as people of faith, we must strive for truth. We must strive for truth everywhere, in phone conversations, in emails, in the television we watch. Ask yourself, do you know it's true? And how do you know it's true? 
And will you speak it or share it if you aren't sure that it's true? We are called to speak the truth and to shy away from falsehood. But sooner or later, just speaking the truth isn't enough. Part of spiritual maturity includes knowing when to speak and when to be quiet. As Christians, we're called to be disciplined in our speech. In the book of James, we read, if any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongue, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. How much do you say? Who do you say it to? How many people do you share that email with? Do you share that gossip with? Sooner or later, each of us who would be called disciples of Christ, who would be spiritually mature, must take upon ourselves this discipline, the discipline of holding your tongue. And it's not easy. It's not easy. When I was a college professor, I taught world religions. I taught it over and over and over again. And my favorite part was when we would talk about Buddhism and I would have my whole class try an experiment. I would ask the entire class to try for 48 hours to take on the first discipline of a young Buddhist monk. You see, when a young monk would go into the Buddhist monastery, they were only asked to do one thing at first. The master would say to them, all I want you to do is to pay attention to your words. And all I ask is that everything you say, everything that comes out of your mouth, that it be true and that it be kind. That's all you have to do. Doesn't that sound easy? So I would tell my class at the end of this wonderful lecture on Buddhism, I would say, so you're going to try this. We're going to do this for the next 48 hours till I see you again. I want to know how long it took you or takes you to break the discipline. Well, when they would come back the next day, the class would always be just a buzz with feedback. I found out that some students, the really over-functioning ones, they simply didn't talk for 48 hours. <laughs> they found it easier just to be quiet than to try and sort out what's true and what's kind. And then the record for the shortest amount of time in discipline was a student who literally walked out of the classroom and said something snippy to her roommate. I didn't even get to the hallway, Dr. Eichert. I didn't even get to the hallway. And there was that nasty comment coming out of my mouth, she said. As Christians, our challenge is to bridle our tongue. Not just to be quiet people, but to bridle our tongue so it can be used for good. And this leads to the most important lesson Scripture teaches about our speech. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, If I speak in the tongue of humans and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Speaking the truth and knowing when to speak, they're important. But the final step, speaking in love, speaking with grace and kindness, this is where people of faith and hope can shine. I am constantly humbled by my Christian friends 
who can show God's love in the way they talk about their family, about their coworkers, about their ministry, talking in a, especially the way they might talk about people who are difficult or situations that are difficult. Speaking with grace, with a tender heart, with forgiveness and compassion. This is our calling, and less than this isn't worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, I realize it's a tall order to speak the truth, to speak with discipline, to speak with love. And I realize, as Pastor Emily said early, we, earlier, we often miss the mark in our families, in our neighborhoods, at work, and even here in the church. Our old negative ways of communicating, they are really hard to break out of. So what are we to do? If it's up to us and our ability, maybe we should just be quiet all the time like my students. But thanks be to God, we are not alone. And thanks be to God, the New Testament writers didn't put these standards on us to frustrate us or to discourage us. Instead, I believe these standards are there to enlarge our hearts and to enlarge our imaginations around our words, how much they matter and how much they can make a difference. These standards stand before us as a challenge that we might never take for granted the power of our words to do good and to please God. When the prophet Isaiah was told to speak to God's people in the 40th chapter of Isaiah, he didn't want to. He knew his weakness. He knew the weakness of the people. He didn't think he had the words that could be loving enough or disciplined enough or true enough to make any difference at all. We read in the 40th chapter of Isaiah, a voice says, cry out, and I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. I don't have any words. There's nothing to say. And then God answers. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up and do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. God says to Isaiah, use my word. My word stands forever. My word is good news. My word speaks life. Talk about me, says God. Your words may be weak, but I am not. I can renew. I can lift up. Speak my words, Isaiah, and people will be made strong. Let this be our calling, friends, to watch our speech, paying attention to what comes out of our mouths, to use words that are true, disciplined, and that give grace to those who hear, and let us accept God's invitation to speak life. Let us pray. God, you give us tongues and hearts and voices, and in these good gifts, there is power. And so in this moment, we would turn that power, these gifts, to you. 
We would ask that you would help us as you have helped your people for generations to speak life into situations that are dark and hopeless. Be with us as we learn to speak of you. Amen.